Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you today. If you're visiting with us, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to fill this pulpit uh, on most Sundays. I take a Sunday off every now and then, um, but it's uh, great to be here uh, today. If you are visiting with us, uh, we have a gift uh, for you. Um, I've written uh, three devotionals, and we'd love for you to take one of those. They're back here as you exit by this door, I, I believe. The fourth one will be here next week, and um, we just want you to receive this gift as uh, uh, our gift to you. Appreciate you being here and hope that you will return. We're finishing up a sermon series that we've been in now for 10 or 11 weeks uh, called Walking in Truth. Our tag verse has been 3 John 4 that says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. And uh, we've talked about all areas of, of truth way back 10 or so weeks ago. We started with what is truth. We defined it. We talked about uh, the source of truth. We talked about that the truth will set you free. We've talked about how the truth is to be communicated in, in love. We've talked about challenges to the truth. Uh, we have talked about that there is an enemy of the truth. We hit three, uh, and then we, we talked about one week that the truth about the fact in this world you will have trouble, the truth about trouble. We hit three social issues in the last three weeks and on the truth of abortion, homosexuality, and transgenderism. And we close today with, I hesitate to say the most important, but if you, if you don't get this message, all the other one kind of goes down the tube, but because we're talking about today the reception of the truth. Truth must be received. Uh, you can hear truth. Uh, you can read truth. Um, but if you don't receive it into your life, it will personally do you no good whatsoever. Um, all of you parents know that at times you told truth to your children, but they did not receive it. And it didn't do them any good. They had to go out and prove to themselves that what you said was true. And uh, truth must be received. Um, and so the reception of the truth is what we close with uh, today. I could have picked a lot of verses to uh, launch from, but I chose Paul's writing in 1 Thessalonians as Paul writes to the church that was meeting at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, Paul writes these words. We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Now, if we can go back one slide, one of the reasons that I've been able to preach now for 28 years is because preaching is not very hard. It's just laid out for you in God's word, and here it is laid out for us. Paul thanks these people because they received the word of God. Well, Paul, what does it mean to receive God's word? Well, it means you have heard it from us. You accepted it, not as a word from a human, but as word of God, which it actually is, which is indeed in work in you who, and you believed it uh, as well, which is the last verse there. And so we get all we get all messed up in preaching when we try to invent things ourselves. Our only job is to be able to preach God's word. And it says at the very start of here, of this passage, that 
you, I, I'm congratulating and I'm thankful because you received the word that you heard. That you heard. The truth must be communicated. It's got to be communicated in some way. There's, the truth is not to be kept under a rug. The, the truth has to be proclaimed in some way. The truth has to be written in some way. The truth somehow has to get out in some way. Paul is writing to his young um, mentee in the faith, Timothy, and he says, young Timothy, he says, preach the word. He says, preach the word. When I was ordained into the Church of the Nazarene back in the late 90s, uh, the general superintendent, Jerry Porter, laid his hands on me, and some of the words that he said were, preach the word. Take your authority with the word of God. Paul writes to preach the word, Timothy, in season and out of season. Now, what does that mean? Well, literally, the Greek words means when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. Doesn't make any difference, Paul. You, you preach it when it's, 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 it's convenient, when it's not convenient, when it's going to be received and when it's not going to be received. The, the, the truth has to go out there in some way. That the truth must be communicated. The Greek word for, for truth is a word that literally means to publish or proclaim openly. To publish or proclaim openly. I don't know why this started about three years from me, but as I've grown close to retirement in my life, I've sensed the need to put something down in writing. To, to publish. I, I, and I'm, you know, I'm doing it the easy way just through Amazon. And I just, for some reason, I see this, the need to put some things down in, in writing. Several people have asked that this sermon series will become a book, and it will be probably in four or five weeks. I just, I'm sensing the need to do that in some way, to get truth, to get truth out there. In the Old Testament, in some very, very dark times in the Old Testament, uh, the, God tells the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 2, verse 7, God tells him, you must speak my words to them, whether they listen or they fail to listen doesn't really make any difference you're to speak my words to they are a rebellious people you continue to speak my words to them whether they're hearing or not hearing whether they're listening not listening doesn't make any difference that's a word for every parent in here whether they listen or they don't listen God told the prophet Ezekiel you are to speak my words to them you are to speak my truth to them. Truth is just such a controversial topic in, in, today's, in today's world. The world believes there is no absolute truth, and that's rather an absolute statement if you think about it, right? The only thing absolute is there's no absolute truth, I guess. And so we, when we stand up and do this, we are we, we are doing the most countercultural thing that we could possibly do to be proclaimed the, the truth of God's word and says that God has given us a standard of behavior. God has given us a standard of, of, of truth. As God has given us something to be able to believe. Continuing the book of Jeremiah in some very dark times in the nation of Israel. Jeremiah says, a, ho a, a horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. Prophets, the prophets that were the preachers of the day. 
The prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority. I told you a hundred times I have no authority at all here except the authority that God's word gives me when I teach and I preach that. It was a dark time in the nation Israel when the priests ruled by their own authority and my people love it this way. But what will you do in the end? Prophets prophesy lies. We have four churches in this community that put out no signs on issue one. Four. It's not a political issue. It's not a political issue. Four. Well, I have people come up to me, and especially these last three weeks as I preached on abortion, transgenderism, and homosexuality and said, thank you. Thank you. Why do they sense the need to thank me? Why do they sense the need to say thank you for having the courage? Why? It's, it's saddening that they do, to be quite honest with you. Because you know why they do? Because it's not heard out there anywhere. And so when it's heard, they feel like they've got to thank the preacher. That's really sad, to be quite honest with you. When you have to thank the preacher for preaching truth. The prophets, they prophesy lies. The word of God, the truth, must be communicated. It must be proclaimed. It must be written. It must be read in whatever ways that it can be communicated we spend a thousand dollars a month as a church to put the truth on the radio. Very few weeks ever go by when somebody tells me, hey, I heard you on the radio. I heard this on the radio. People may never ever walk in this church because they heard it on the radio, but the truth still has to go out. Remember, I've told you before, our job is just to throw it out. That's all our job is. They may not listen. They may listen. They may not listen. It's just to throw out the seed of the Lord of God. It's the only job we have. Some of you have heard an expression, a quote, famous quote, by St. Francis of Assisi. And this quote is, is, there's truth in this, but there's not full truth in this. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. I know what he means. I know what he means. He means be sure you live it out. I get that 1,000%. But that's not a full truth. The gospel must be proclaimed. It, you, me, being a good person and feeding the poor will not keep people out of hell. If we do more in this community? I guess I don't know that to be true. We do a lot in this community socially. We do a lot. We do a lot. But friends, when you feed the poor, that's really great, and we're called to do that. But people are only saved. People are only kept out of hell when the word is proclaimed, when Jesus is preached. So it's, a, it's, it's okay. It's just not a full truth. It's a partial truth. Yes, the gospel should be show up in our lives in a hundred different ways, but it must be 
communicated. The truth must be communicated. That's why the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, he says, faith comes by hearing the message. How does faith happen? Faith comes by hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Jesus Christ. The writer to Hebrews said that the truth of God's word is alive and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Had someone come up to me last week who's relatively new in our church. Several months have been attending our church. And this person says, says, when you preach, I feel it in my soul. Now, what they feel in their soul is the sharp edge of the truth of God. It's not Mark and his oratory skills. It's the truth of God's word doing what it needs to do. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, verse 23, he writes, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. Friends, how is the word received? Paul wrote that you've heard it. You heard it. And the word must be communicated. The word must be preached. The word must be written. The word must be proclaimed. The word must be published. The word must go out there in some way. The truth of God's word. It must be heard but it also must be accepted as authority in your life. It's one thing to hear it, and that's a part of the process. I heard, I heard the truth for 34 years before I came to Christ. I heard it. My dad faithfully preached the truth every single Sunday. I never accepted it, bit my knee to it, submitted to it, accepted it as authority in my life. Now remember our anchor verse that we're dealing with right here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? The verse says, and we thank God continually because when you receive the word, now what does it mean to receive it, Paul? You heard it and you accepted it. Not as a human word, you gave it authority because it came from God. And this word is indeed in work in you who believe. You know, you, you can accept a lot of things in your life, but you have to accept it as authority. We talked a couple of weeks ago, the difference between accepting and affirming. The difference between accepting and, and affirming. I can accept a lot of things that I don't like in this world, but I accept it as reality. I can accept it that Michigan's going to be the number one seed today. I can accept that as truth. I'm not doing flip-flops about it. I can accept it as truth. My boys can come home with two girls that Sue and I don't approve of. They may marry those two girls that Sue and I don't approve of. We can accept them without being excited about them. Accepting as true and as reality is a part of this process. And somewhere along the line, you have to accept that God's word has authority. What has authority in your life? 
for most people in this world, you know what authority is? Themselves. Their own opinion. When you ask people why they believe, ask, ask somebody, oh, do you think murder is wrong? And they'll say yes. And you say, why? Well, well, well everybody knows. Well, why? Well, just it's common sense. Why? It's because thousands of years ago, a finger was written in stone, thou shalt not murder. That's why it's authority in this world. That's why people believe that it's common sense. People believe that it's self-evident. Are you supposed to tell the truth? Yeah, you're supposed to tell the truth. Why? If you're just some cosmic accident, you're just a bunch of sales that just shows up here, why are you supposed to tell the truth? Why? Tell me why. Well, there was, there was, they don't say this, but there was one day that a finger wrote in stone, thou shalt not lie. Are you, are, you, are, you, are you supposed to steal? No, you're not supposed to. Why? Why? You're just a cosmic accident. You're just a bunch of sales. You're living here for 70 years and poof, you're gone. Why are you not supposed to steal? Well, it's not right. To, to, why is it not right to steal? They can't give you anything except their own opinion. And if it's just our own opinion, we get, in the United States, we've got 300 million plus opinions. You will never speak with authority in your life or you'll never live with authority in your life unless you place yourself under, under the authority of God's word. You will never speak with authority or live with authority in your life until you give God's word heavy weight in your life. What do you give weight to in your life. Paul said, hey, you received this word, you heard it, and then you accepted it. Not as the word from Mark, but as it is, the word from God. I don't like to read to you, but in 1949, when Billy Graham, and those of you that are maybe really young and don't know that name he was probably the most foremost American evangelist that we've ever had and in 1949 he wrote this well <clears throat> excuse me looking back on 1949 he wrote this in 1949 I have was having a great many doubts concerning the Bible like hundreds of other young seminary students I was waging the intellectual battle of my life be careful what college may do you to your kids. I'm not putting down college at all. I got my boy one, it cost him $40,000 a year to get him there, okay? I'm not putting down college. But they're going to hear ideas that they've never heard before from people they respect. And there's going to be peer pressure like they've never had before to believe a certain thing. So he said he was waging the intellectual battle of his life in seminary. The outcome could certainly affect my future ministry. In August of that year, I've been invited to Forest Home, a Presbyterian conference center high in the mountains outside of Los Angeles. I remember walking down a trail, tramping into the woods, and almost wrestling with God. Finally, in desperation, I surrendered my will to the living God revealed in Scripture. I knelt before an open Bible. 
and said, and I have this part of it behind you. Lord, many things in this book I do not understand, but thou hast said the just shall live by faith. All I have received from thee I have taken by faith. Here and now by faith I accept the Bible as thy word. I take it all. I take it without reservation. Where there are things I cannot understand, I will reserve judgment until I receive more light. That's an old word for knowledge. If this pleases thee, give me authority as I proclaim thy word. And through that authority, convict me of sin and turn sinners to the Savior. Then he continues to write, within six weeks, we started our Los Angeles crusade. It was here I discovered the secret that changed my ministry. I stopped trying to prove that the Bible was true. I had settled that in my own mind. And this faith that I had was suddenly conveyed to the hearers. I felt as though I was merely a voice through which the Holy Spirit was speaking. Listen, he said, authority created faith in him. The authority of God's word created faith. And then faith generated a response from the people. And hundreds of people were impelled to come to Christ. A crusade scheduled for three weeks lengthened into eight weeks with hundreds of thousands of people in attendance. The people were not coming to hear great oratory, nor were they interested merely in my ideas. I found they were desperately hungry to hear what God had said through his holy word. Can I tell you something that all preachers know and that Billy Graham would be the first to agree with? Billy Graham was an average preacher as far as communication skills, oratory skills, his ability to expound the word of God. But he took it as God's word and preached it and said the Bible says over and over and God honored him for it. There comes a time in the life that you have to, this word that you hear, you have to accept it as authority in your life. It's part of what it means to receive God's word. Psalm 19, 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Ray Pritchard is a retired preacher that I like to read from, and he said this comment, If the Bible comes from man, we are entitled to sit in judgment on it. If the Bible comes from God, we must bow in submission to it. Do you know how many things in this word I do not understand? We were at men's Bible study the other night and somebody asked me, what's it mean? What's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I said, well, I don't know. And he looked at me like, do you think that me, a finite man, can totally grasp the infinite? I bring 10, 10 PhDs up here and we won't agree on what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. But we don't have to totally understand what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is because it's got nothing to do with accepting Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. And we worry about all these little jot and tittles of Scripture and the plain thing there in Scripture is what we don't submit ourselves to. But we worry about all the end time stuff and all the things that don't seem to be plain in Scripture. Somewhere in your life, you've got to accept this, not as a word from man, but as a word from God as it actually is, Paul said. You've got to accept it as weight in your life. 
You've got to give this weight. You've got to give it authority. The Church of the Nazarene, I'm not talking about the Xenia Church of the Nazarene. I'm talking about the general Church of the Nazarene has a statement in our bylaws about Scripture. It says, we believe in the plenary. That means full. If you go to a conference and there's a plenary session, that means everybody's invited. There's some conferences you have breakouts and you go to. But plenary sessions, everyone is invited to. And the Church of the Nazarene says, we believe in the plenary inspiration of the Holy Scriptures, by which we understand the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, given by divine inspiration, inerrantly revealing the will of God concerning us in all things necessary to our salvation, so that whatever is not contained therein is not to be enjoined as an article of faith. It won't happen in my lifetime. It won't happen some of your lifetime. It'll happen in Pastor John's lifetime where that statement will have to be contended for in the church of the Nazarene. The time is coming. There's already little inklings of it where you will have to contend for the truth of that statement. It won't be in my lifetime. But before Pastor John would finish his ministry, there's going to be decisions on whether the church of the Nazarene believes this is God's word or not. Because there's already inroads. Somewhere along the line, you've got to decide what is authority in your life. Paul said, you all received the word of, of God. You heard it and you accepted it. Not as from men, but as it truly is from God. I'm thankful Think about it, friends. I'm thankful I don't understand everything in here. If I understood everything in here, this would prove that this was a man-made book. But since this is a God, Holy Spirit, divinely inspired book, how much I have to be an egotist to think I can understand the mind of God. And there are some things that I'll never be able to grasp. The just shall live by faith. Without faith, you cannot please him. Parents, you want to know when you're really pleased with your kids? When you tell them something that they yet cannot understand mentally, and they just look at you and say, okay, mommy, because you said it, I believe it. Boy, that makes you feel good. Yeah, daddy. I trust you, Daddy. I trust you, Mommy. I also want you to know that not only must the truth be communicated and it's got to be accepted as the authority in God's Word, our text says, our Scripture says, not Mark, it's our Scripture that says it. Apostle Paul wrote these words 2,000 years ago and he was inspired by God, led along by the Holy Spirit. And this, the text says truth must be believed. Must be believed. Our, our verse again, Paul's congratulating these, these folks that met at this church in Thessalonica. And he says, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just so grateful you received God's word which you heard, which you accepted. 
Not from a man, but actually, actually he is from God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Who believe. One of the great theological conundrums of all time is what in the world does it mean to believe? What in the world does it mean to believe? I believed a long time before I was ever saved. Believed in my head. Told you the story a lot of times. I believed in my head, but I didn't want to submit myself to the truth of God's word. I didn't want to bring my life into, into a line to God's word. I've told you the story of the couple that came witnessing to my apartment and they laid the gospel out for me and I looked at them and I hope I was kind but I said ma'am I believe everything you said I'm just will not submit my life to it right now a year later because of probably circumstances in my life that it got to the point where I could see what a mess I made in my life August 29, 1993, at Calvary Baptist Church in Danville, Illinois, I believed. And believing always has something, some effect in your life. If I string a big wire across here and I bring in some circus people and they, they walk across this big wire right here, they walk back and forth and we all... And I'm just up and they say, Mark, do you believe that you can get on my shoulders and I can walk across? And I said, yeah, I believe that. They said, come on up here. And I say, no, no. So do I really believe it? Believe, believing has to show up in your life in small and large ways. One of the ways you know you're believing, listen, one of the ways you know you're believing is when you face opposition because, listen to me, the truth divides. Truth does not unite. Come on, friends. Truth always divides. This is true. This is false. There's a division there. Truth always divides. I was a math teacher for eight years. Math teachers are all about truth because two plus two is four. It's not five. It's not subjective. You don't take a little essay and you try to convince me why two plus two is five. It's either right or it's wrong. And, and, and the, their, their, how much right they got on their test was a dividing line between whether they got an A or whether they got an F. Truth divides. And you know this, you know this, because at Thanksgiving and Christmas, there's stuff you won't talk about, because it'll bring up division and opposition at the Thanksgiving table and Christmas table. I'm not telling you, I'm not laying a guilt wrap on anybody, I'm right there with you. There's stuff that we keep quiet about. Why? Because it'll bring up opposition. We know that the truth will bring some people that are for it and some people that are against it. And we, I put myself in the same category, we as human beings don't like that conflict. So we shut up. 
and say, well, we don't talk about politics or religion here. How do you know if you're believing, you will face some opposition? It might be little, it might be a lot. I remember I was, it's probably 20 years ago, and I was doing some part-time work for a secular organization, going around the country speaking for them in a secular way. And, and I was sitting with a bunch of people one time at a, at just at a meeting, and I, I, I mentioned that something about the Bible. The Bible said this, the Bible said this, and this girl didn't see me see her, but she was sitting right here across the table from me right there, and I saw her roll her eyes. Now, that's a little bit of opposition. That's not a lot. I'm not persecuted. That's not what I'm saying. But when you state something that is true, the purpose of that truth is not to unite. The purpose of that truth is to divide between true and false. You know it in your families. I know it in my family. And every single one of us have kept our mouth shut because we didn't like the opposition and conflict that the truth was going to bring. And I'm not saying you sit at the kitchen, the Thanksgiving table, the Christmas table and, and preach at people. That's not even close to what I'm saying. I'm just saying, how do you know if you're believing? How do you know if you really believe? You'll face some opposition. You'll face some opposition. Maybe it's, maybe it's nothing more than, uh, you know, you don't, you don't work on Sundays. And, you know, and nobody's really going to persecute you too bad. People will kind of laugh at you maybe and say you're holy roller and tell you to loosen up and all that kind of stuff. But, or maybe you don't let your, you know, maybe you don't let your kids go to this kind of movie or that kind of movie or da-da-da-da-da-da. And, and you'll get some opposition from other parents. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, Jesus said this. Jesus said, do not think I came to bring peace on earth. Well, I thought he was called the Prince of Peace. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be, there will be five in one family divided against, the other, against each other, three against two, two against three. That's what truth. I'll see my family this week. I'll see my family this weekend. And if I open my mouth about some things, there will be division. We'll be polite about it. But they'll think Mark is nuts. Jesus said again in Matthew chapter 10, Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What did it say in the Hebrews verse I read earlier? It's sharper than any two-edged sword. What's a sword do? It divides. What's a truth do? It divides. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, that is not a verse of unity. That is a verse of division. The truth always divides. Jesus says in verse 35, for I've come to turn a man against his father. Now, that doesn't mean that, that Jesus, my, my purpose here is, is to make your father mad at you. No, Jesus says the truth will do this. A daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Man's enemies will be members of his own 
household. I read just yesterday of a Catholic priest in La Crosse, Wisconsin that lost his parish. And the bishop, one of the reasons the bishop gave for taking his parish, that means church, for taking his parish from him was that he was divisive in his ministry. And, and, and the, the pastor, the, the, the Catholic father, Father James was his name, and, and he, he wrote publicly, he said, it's my job to divide. Respectfully, Father James, it's not your job to divide. It's the truth's job to divide. You are to speak the truth, and if the truth divides, so be it. You shouldn't be happy about causing division. You shouldn't be jumping up and down about it. It is simply a consequence of the calling that we have on our life to preach truth. It's not my job to cause division. It's my job to preach God's word. And in some of your hearts, that will cause division. I used to get all bent out of shape when people leave the church. Young pastor, I used to get all bent out of shape when people left the church. I've never got to the point where I like it, but I, I, I've learned to live with it. Why, Mark? Because the truth divides. Now, I'm supposed to preach that truth in grace and love as much as God's Holy Spirit gives me the opportunity to do that. But since, since truth divides, preaching and teaching the truth will do exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. How do you know you're a believer? You're going to face some opposition. How do you know really, you're really believing? You're going to face some pushback. It's going to be some conflict. But also it's very clear that the Bible says that believers practice the faith. How do you know you're believing? You, it's working out in your life. James 2.14 What good is it, my brothers and sisters... If someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such a faith as this save anyone? James 2.17, three verses later, he says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, There will be a day and time when people will say, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says to me, excuse me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does. What's it mean to believe? It means it must work out in your life some way. It doesn't work out perfectly in any of our lives, none of our lives, but it must work out some way. Believers practice the faith. One of my favorite passages in all the scriptures, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus tells a story. He makes up a story, just like preachers sometimes. We, we tell a story to try to illustrate a point. We make up a story. Let's, let's imagine this, this high wire act right up here. Look, I just made up a story. Jesus did the same thing. He says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains come, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. 
Those same rains will come. Everybody has to deal with rain. Everybody has to deal with streams that rise. Everybody has to deal with winds that blow. And they'll beat against the house of this man just like they beat against the house of the other man. But this house fell with a great crash. What's the only difference in those two houses? One that stood and one that fell. Is that the hearer of the word, the one who accepted the word, the one who said he believed the word, one person practiced the faith and the other person didn't. It's got to work out in your life. And I'm not the judge and you're not the judge for anybody else to say how much it's got to work out in your life. Nowhere in the Bible are, are, are we perfect people that, are, that are, reach a, a level of sinlessness in our life. No. But, but you cannot read this word without saying that this belief, this mental belief has to work out in your life in some way. All right, let me go back to our verse one more time and I'm done. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, that he was so thankful for these people because they received the word of God. What does that mean, Paul? Well, it means they heard it. It means they accepted it as authority in their life. And then the last part of that verse says, which is indeed in work in you who believe. I finished this message on Friday and sent it to Cheryl for her to put up there. But just this morning, this is how alive God's word is. Just this morning, I saw something else. So you got to sit here about three more minutes, okay? (laughs) The, The verse said, this word works in you, is alive in you for those who believe. What does it mean to receive? It, you know that this truth is working in your life. You can put a gun to my head and I will not recant. Go ahead and pull the trigger. Something happened to me on August 29, 1993. My life is not the same. I'm a different person, and it's not just because I grip my teeth and I'm trying harder. The Word is at work in my life. It's not an overnight work that that I'll encourage every parent in this room. It's not an overnight thing. But the Word, if you're believing, the Word is at work in your life some way. And you know it, I am not, I am not the same person I used to be. Glory to God, not glory to Mark trying so hard to be a Christian. And if you are believing, you'll see that truth doing a work in your life. You may not understand it, you may not attribute it to the truth of God's word, but you see yourself changing that's God using his truth to work in your life for those who believe we can got all the truth in the world and if we don't receive it it goes for naught it goes for naught and what does it mean to receive it, it means you got to hear it communicate it somehow means you've got to accept it as authority. It means you have to believe, and that means it's got to work out somewhere in your life.
And you've got to see this truth working in you, changing you. You do not think the same way you used to think. You do not act the same way you used to act. That's what happens if you believe. That's what happens if you receive the truth. Has that happened to you? <laughs> There's some of you in this room that you know it's happened and your spirit is jumping with this message. And you're probably not a, a kind of person to say amen real loud, but you're saying yes. You know it's happened to you. You may not have been able to articulate it, but you knew it was happening to you. There's others that you're just kind of looking at me cross-eyed. You don't get it. You thought it was about going to church. You thought it was about cleaning up your life. It's about receiving his truth. That can happen today. A simple prayer. What, I, what do I have to pray, Mark? It doesn't make any difference because it's not the words he hears, it's your heart he hears. Say, God, I want to receive this truth. I want it to transform me. You've heard it today. You've heard it for the last 10 weeks. Will you receive it? And allow it to work in you. Our servers are coming to the table. This truth, there's a, there's a lot to the truth of God's word, but when it all comes down to it, when push comes to shove, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. When it's your time to lay on your deathbed, you're not going to be thinking about the church of the Nazarene or the Baptist church or the Presbyterian church. You're not going to be thinking about your Sunday school class. When you're laying on your deathbed and push comes to shove, it's going to be about the person of Jesus Christ. I can remember Billy Graham preaching and standing behind that pulpit, and I can remember him, he was kneeling down like this, and he says, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? And that's why every single message here ends with communion. It ends with a memory of what Jesus did on the cross which is the only thing that saves us and changes us. We used to sing that there is power in the blood of Jesus. Do you know that? Has it happened to you? It can happen in this instant. I quote August 29th, 1993 is my day. December 3rd, 2023 could be yours. Could be yours. In 30 years from now, you're talking about December 3rd, 2023. Something happened that day. Father, do your work in people's hearts right now. Help us as we continue to worship at the communion table and at these altars and in the pews. May we be obedient to your promptings at this time. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.